as you have maybe gathered, if you've been around for the last few weeks, uh, we've been in a series entitled, I Am His Story, okay? And uh, so for the last few weeks and for the next three weeks, we're going to be hearing simple stories uh, from Scripture uh, that we can connect to and learn from, and then we're going to try to connect also with the story that one of our own St. Peter friends uh, is here to tell us. Uh, So today, I'm going to take you back to that gospel reading from Mark chapter 7 to get started, okay? And and if you don't remember, here's the context for this story. Can we have for Team Joseph, right? They did an awesome job. (laughs) Plus, they're sharp and good looking. There is that. Okay, Uh, so uh, Mark chapter 7, we pick up in the ministry of Jesus this way. It says, Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon. So that's kind of up to the north of the Galilee towards what we'd call modern-day Lebanon. And uh, before going back to the Sea of Galilee and to the region of the Ten Towns. Sometimes your Bibles will translate that as the Decapolis. Uh, and that is uh, ten towns that the, uh, the Greco-Roman Empire had developed, especially during uh, the time of the reign of Greece. Okay? Uh, and they're on the east side of the region of Galilee and the Sea of Galilee. Uh, primarily uh, uh, Gentile towns. So somewhere in that area, verse 32 tells us, a deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to Jesus. And the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Now, uh, if you've ever spent time reading through the Gospels, you're familiar with this scene. It's a common one where Jesus is just going about whatever he's doing, and people flock to him, large crowds gather, surround, and follow him, and oftentimes they bring to him those that they knew and loved who were hurt uh, and needed healing of one kind or another. Okay, So it's it's a regular thing, but let's pay attention to what happens uniquely in this particular moment. Jesus takes this man uh, who is deaf and unable to speak clearly, and he led him away from the crowd so that they could be alone. Now again, Jesus does that fairly often uh, because he wants to show the person he's about to heal that he's focused in on them, right? That it's an intensely personal moment. And then next, notice this, he puts his fingers into the man's ears, and then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Now, I don't know about you, but this falls into the category for me of some of the grossest miracles that Jesus ever does, right? Uh, and I don't honestly know why Jesus does all of these things exactly. I know that he never does anything on accident. Everything has a purpose. And someday, maybe when I'm with Jesus in eternity, I'll say, okay, fill me in. Like, tell me exactly what's going on here, right? But, but here's one thing I think I do understand. Remember what the things were that this man was dealing with. Um, he was deaf, and he was mute. He couldn't speak clearly. And so what we see Jesus do is he pulls this man aside, and he signals to him very vividly that he knows exactly what his trouble is. He knows where he is hurt and broken. And in this way, he begins to signal to this man, uh, I have what you have longed for and prayed for maybe your whole life. So think about that when we take a look at what Jesus does next. Verse 34. Now you notice I have a few things in brackets because I kind of made my own addition to the translation here, and I'll explain why in a moment. Looking up to heaven, 
he groaned and said in Aramaic, Ephatha, which means be opened. And instantly, the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so that he could speak plainly. Now first, that first word in brackets, if you read through the NLT or most other English translations, uh, the word that's often used is sighed, like as in to sigh, right? Uh, It also can be translated as groan, and I prefer that because it has a little more force to it. Um, Jesus, for example, uh, shows deep emotion whenever he is encountering people who are, hurt, sir, uh, who are hurt and broken and suffering in any way. He looks up out upon the crowds, for example, and he says they are like sheep without a shepherd. Or when he's at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who has died, and he's about to bring back to life, we're told that Jesus wept at that moment. Jesus isn't afraid to show emotions, and so on one level, this is a very emotional moment for Jesus. right? But also, you may remember when you hear that word groan, Uh, the scripture that says, when we don't have words to say, when whatever it is we're dealing with is beyond our ability to understand or we just feel exhausted by all the prayers we've prayed, scripture says the Spirit of God intercedes with groans that we cannot comprehend. So Jesus groans, and notice what it says, looking up to heaven. He's not looking at the guy anymore, but he's looking up to heaven. And so he groans to his heavenly father, deeply burdened by the brokenness of this world that is so troubled by sin. But there's one other way I think that this plays an important role. Remember, this man was deaf, so he's never been able to hear. And his tongue was tied up in a way that didn't allow him to speak at all. And if if he could utter anything, it was unintelligible. And so the only language maybe this man had throughout his whole life was grunts and groans. And so what Jesus does is he comes close to this man, right? He gets up into his face and then he intercedes on his behalf in his own language. Powerful, right? Jesus coming close to those who are hurt and broken. And then we're told, in Aramaic, he says the word Ephatha. Now, on four occasions in Mark's gospel, just four, does he include the original everyday language that Jesus and all of his Jewish family and friends would have used in their everyday conversations. That is Aramaic. It's a a cousin language to Hebrew in which the Old Testament is written primarily, but was everyday language for Jesus and all of his friends. Uh, On those four occasions, two of them come towards the end of Mark's gospel when Jesus is entering into his suffering and his death. Once in the garden when he cries out, Abba, Father, right? And then again when he's on the cross and he cries out in his agony, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in two very intense moments, where Jesus is seeking a deep personal connection with his heavenly father, he uses his heart language, the language that he was taught by his parents and spoke every day in his house. On two occasions in Mark's gospel, Mark tells us he used that language in speaking to people that he was present for to heal. 
here, and then secondly, at the time when he went to the house of the daughter of Jairus, a 12-year-old girl who was very, very sick and who died. And then Jesus entered into the place where she was laid, and I like to picture him sitting down at the end of her bed and grabbing her hand and says, Talitha kum, which is translated, my little girl, it's time to wake up. So on two occasions, we see Jesus' exact words used in these intensely personal moments of healing. And in this case, it's the simple statement and command, ephatha, which means be opened. And Jesus, simply at the power of his word, was able to undo everything that was wrong in this man's life and bring him the healing that he so desperately needed. And at the simple power of God's word, instantly the man could hear and his tongue was freed so that he could speak plainly. Now notice what happens right after this. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and they said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. Friends, those who have experienced the power and the presence of God in their life, because of how powerful that was, are compelled, whenever they have an opportunity, to share that good news with someone who needs to hear it. We are people of good news, and so we are called to share that good news whenever God opens the door and the opportunity to do so. And so that's why we've been in this series, I Am His Story. I'm going to invite Justin Ford, and he's going to join me here up front. Uh, Justin is a fieldwork student uh, here at St. Peter, uh, and he is going to share how God has been present and active in his life and his story as well. So can we give a warm St. Peter welcome to Justin coming up front today? All right, hello. Um, oh, this looks a lot louder than the other one. So, <laughs> so yeah, just a little introduction um, of kind of where my faith, like roughly started, was uh, I was baptized Catholic, um, but never did go to church. My family wasn't a church-going family. Um, I did go to a Christian school my whole life, uh, so God provided that as a way for me to be surrounded by Christian leaders and scripture. Uh, I would say that around middle school is when I leaned more towards atheism. Uh, I got picked on just being a bigger guy at school, um, and I made the connection. Christians are mean, uh, therefore God does not exist. Huge jump, but um, kind of this. A lot of the uh, my faith journey starts in high school. Um, so when freshman year, my mom uh, was at rehab for two months, recovering from alcoholism. It was a challenging start to the year, um, and it drove me to isolation, and uh, which later turned into self-destructive behavior, um, which over the next few years, my freshman, sophomore, and junior year, um, that spiral got worse and worse and worse. Um, but luckily, during my junior year, God did place a Bible teacher in my life who radiated God's love and joy. Um, I remember he was just always singing joyful songs and playing around, and it was always such a joy to be around. Um, But even then, I was still isolating myself with dark humor. 
uh, dark humor is how I was coping at the time with everything. Um, and eventually, uh, I made something that I thought was a joke, but people took it as a threat. Um, a few days later, my school gave me a two-week medical leave. Um, two kids who also were a part of this joke uh, got expelled. So I remember, I now look back and I see that that is the grace and mercy of God shown to me. Um, I deserve to be expelled from that school, but the principal said that I just got medical leave, which is, was way kinder than what I deserved. Um, and I, still re I realized that God still wanted me there. Um, a week after that, a good friend of mine would die in a car crash. Um, and that's when I hit a low point in my life, questioning everything, starting to really question life, death, what's after uh, death, and just all of those things after experiencing it. Um, so luckily that is when God opened the floodgates uh, of faith in my life. So I got back to school after my medical leave, a little scared of what was going to happen, how people were gonna look at me, um, and just a little terrified of that. Luckily, when I got there, students and staff came together to show me God's unconditional love and grace to me. Um, and they came alongside me in my struggles and in me trying to change and grow to uh, show the love of God in those times of my struggle. Two significant impacts that I had during this time was one, uh, my Bible teacher kind of pulling me aside when I got back and just looking at me and saying, you are forgiven. Um, and then I finally just listened to him tell me about um, the story of Jesus and just the grace and mercy and the through the death and resurrection of him. Um, and just remembering that hit me really hard as I started really thinking about faith. The other impact, which was kind of this final straw, was the song, King of My Heart. The bridge says, uh, you are never going to let me down. Um, I remember going home that night after hearing that song and bawling my eyes out, um, crying to God, saying that I wanted to change and follow him, and I just wanted something more than where my life was. So a few months later, I was invited to a youth group, uh, which became my home church, Cross Lutheran at Yorkville. So St. So Peter's Arch uh, Nemesis. <laughs> Um, but they, that's where uh, my faith really took off and many people poured into me there. Um, so we get to my senior year and two friends of mine passed away, um, sadly. And that's when I started feeling a calling to ministry. Um, I wanted to spread God's love to all people in my life and be a mentor like my Bible teacher was. So I took a gap year trying to figure out what that would look like, where God wanted me. And um, eventually I started to attend Concordia University, Chicago, where um, I'm still there studying to be a director of Christian education. So during my gap year um, and first year of college, I did struggle with severe depression and anxiety. I struggled to keep relationships uh, with my dad and also some of my best friends at the time. After long talks and prayers with people, um, I finally started to understand God's unconditional love and realized that love doesn't need a condition. You can be freely given like God has. Um, so that was two years ago. My story isn't complete and definitely has a long way to go. Um, God has put on my heart to teach people uh, and show people his un unconditional love for them. 
So I pray that all of us can grow in loving all those around us and sharing God's love with everyone. But a verse that has really come into my life, especially recently, um, is Romans 8, 37 through 39. Uh, so know in all these things that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That passage just always reminds me, no matter how far we go and just whatever struggle comes in our life, it can't separate us from God's love. And that is just a passage that will always stick with me, knowing that God's love is with us forever. Can we give thanks to God for Justin and God's work in his story? I'm going to ask him one follow-up question here in just a moment, and then after that, I'm going to invite some of you to come forward and pray over him, uh, so get ready for that. <laughs> Justin, uh, you talked about that song, King of Love, My Shepherd Is. I know that song well, uh, and how important music has been mm -hmm. to you. Uh, some of you have heard me say this before. Uh, Martin Luther, after whom our church has been named some 500 years ago, said, uh, he who sings prays twice. Isn't that interesting? He who sings prays twice twice. And what I think he meant was there's something powerful that takes place when we engage with music and with song. Um, and so I'm just curious, as you've continued to grow in your faith, how does music continue to play a role in your faith life? Yeah, so music is just, uh, I was not blessed with talents to sing or to play any instruments. But um, even then, uh, it's just a way for me to show God's unconditional love to those around me. Um, I just love to dance and just jump around and be in community with people. And when you're singing to God, I mean, there's no better time to worship with a group of believers and just feel that love and presence of God in those moments. Yeah, awesome. Sarah's not here, so I can say this. Uh, uh, in our house, I love to have uh, worship music going in the background all the time when I'm working on the house or doing this, that, or whatever. She likes a little more peace and quiet. So we have a little bit of uh, tension, healthy tension there uh, at Team Grinder's house between how loud the music is. But what I found is it just, if I have that around me and surrounding me, it helps set a scene. Uh, and even if I'm not paying close attention to it, it helps connect me more deeply with the Father. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, who's ready to come up and pray over Justin? Come on up. Awesome. Yeah, come up, Dan, too. Yeah. You want to start? Can, no, no, you're going <laughs> to. You'll be support. There you go. Awesome. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for Justin. We thank you, Lord, for your work in his life, Lord, and that, that the call you've put on his life to go after you and to serve you and to help bring others into faith. We thank you, Father, that you're his helper. We also thank you, Lord God, for the teachers that were in his life that mentored him, Lord God, that brought the good news. And as I pray for Justin, I pray for the teachers in this school also, Lord God, as they are teaching the students here, that you would help them to be strong and courageous and bold in their faith, Lord God, that the students would be strong and courageous and bold in their faith also. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for Justin and your goodness in his life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. All right. Before we rush off with the rest of our day, we have a couple here in practice questions we'd like you to think about. Uh, just take a couple moments uh, and, uh, and talk about if you're with someone or think about if you're on your own, how do you connect with Justin's story? Maybe there's a detail that you're like, okay, that's me and I need to do some processing of that. Uh, or secondly, where have you seen God show up in your story? Uh, and who else do you know that has a powerful story to tell? 
So I'm going to invite Jason to bring up some music because of what I just said. That'll kind of uh, help fill some of the space, take some time to reflect on this. In about two minutes, three minutes tops, uh, I'll send you with a blessing.